Luke chapter 4, you might have thought we were done with that during Lent, but you would be wrong. And I thought we were done with it too. I, I kind of had, a, had a, an, an idea of where we would go after Easter, uh, the next two Sundays, and then uh, Brother Bob Butler is going to preach the following Sunday, and then we just kind of rolls forward. And so I kind of had an idea of it, and, and really over the course of this week, God kind of brought me back here, not to the same part of the text, but to the part after the part we've been studying. And because um, if you look in your Bible on the top of the paragraph in Luke 4, where we've been reading, it probably says something along the lines of Jesus rejected in Nazareth. And we didn't really talk about the rejection part of it. We talked about him like saying that he's going to be the Messiah, but we didn't really talk about what, you know, why he was rejected, what, where that really comes from. And uh, so let me, let's kind of read it in, in sections here. Uh, so we'll start in the beginning of 16 beginning of 16, of course. We'll start with verse 16. Beginning of the sentence is a good place. Um, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Um, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sat up, uh, sorry, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So that's kind of where we were during, during Lent leading up to Easter is talking about the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, like what that meant, what we were truly captive to, what they would have thought we were captive to, and just the, deliver, the deliverance that God brings from our captivity to sin and what it truly means to be free. And so that's, we kind of spent most of our, our time leading up to Easter kind of in that section uh, he says to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So basically this is a moment where he says, you have been uh, praying this scripture. You've been um, waiting for the Messiah to come. You've been waiting for this deliverance. I'm here to tell you that today is the day you've been waiting for. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Look at the next verse. 22 says, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Okay. So they're kind of stunned. They're like, wow, like hometown kid going to be the Messiah. Joseph's son. I remember him. He did some carpentry work at my house. You know, like, like I know who this kid is. And, and they're like these gracious words. And like, is this really true? And this is, uh, you know, there's different ways that people interpret that particular sentence. But most of what I read seemed to think that the crowd was kind of, was kind of smitten in this moment. They're like, could this be the case? Like we've, we've heard about this, this kid, like since he left home, we've heard the things he's been doing. Maybe he's right. I mean, this could be really be happening. And if you skip down, look down at verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Okay, so 
I mean, I, I've had some bad sermons before. I've had some like some like, talking tos afterwards. You know, I've had some emails. I've had people say, "I'm never coming back again." I never had one. They were like, "Where's the cliff?" You know, like bring me, bring me to the cliff. Uh, this is a weird turn of events from 22, where they're marveling at the gracious words. 28, they're like, "We got to kill this dude." What could he have said in between then that sent things from one direction to another? Um, okay, well let's let's look at it a little bit. Um, Look at verse 23. So after they're gracious and marveling at him, verse 23, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. All right. So, Kind of what he's doing there, like, is there's a little bit of, like, this moment where he's kind of looking down the road. He's basically being like, well, uh, here goes nothing, you know. Like, I know you well enough to know that you're not going to like this next part. Uh, I know exactly what's about to happen. And so I'm glad that you are pleased with what I've said so far. But you're not really getting the full picture. Let me give you the full picture and he brings up two incidents from Israel's history that they would that they would have known and read into. So verse 25 and 26. He says, "But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up 3 years and 6 months and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them." but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Okay, so to us, that's like, you know, maybe not that big of a deal. Maybe, you know, don't really know. But to them, that's a story that they hate because uh, God passed over all the ethnic Jews in in the region. And instead of blessing any of them, he brought this miracle to a Gentile. And that just did not does not go over well, you know. The Gentiles are never should never be the heroes of the story because they hated the Gentiles, and they really hated the Samaritans. They actually hated anyone who was not Jewish. And that's really what's going on. So here's Jesus talking about freedom and deliverance and really the gospel, and he's like, and they're like, oh, these are gracious words. We really like this. And he's like, well, you're not going to like this next part, are you? Remember that time when God didn't help anyone Jewish, but he did help someone that you hated? Then verse 27, this thing is bugging me. Then verse 27, he says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. That's in 2 Kings 5. It's like, hmm. All these people need help, and yet God helps a Jewish person? No. A Syrian. Since two references to God bringing, him passing over his own people to go and help the people that they hate. That is what stirred up the wrath in them. That is what infuriated them. That is what caused them to basically form a mob 
push him out of town to go try to find a cliff to throw him off of. Now to us, we're, we're like, right, what's the big deal? Like, I don't really understand. Because we need to understand that Israel had a deep problem. And some would call it ethnocentricity. That's kind of a fancy word. Some would call it racism. That's a less fancy word. They are, they're siblings. They're not exactly the same thing, depending on who you talk to, but they're, they might as well be. Ethnocentricity is the conviction, or this is a definition I found that I can wrap my mind around. Uh, the conviction or the feeling that my ethnic group should be treated as superior or privileged. That's what they thought. They're like, no, no, we're, we're God's chosen people. Gentiles are the worst. Samaritans are even worse than them because they are a mixture of ethnicities, part of which is being Jewish. And so to them, the year of God's favor meant that God was going to come in and destroy all of Israel's enemies, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, anyone who was not Jewish. He was going to destroy them, exalt Israel, and that's what... That is how they would be free from captivity. That's how they would have their sight restored. That's how they would uh, be free from their oppressors. That's what the year of the Lord's favor looked like. Because in Isaiah 61, which Jesus was reading from, there's this line that Jesus omits, but they would have known. And it says, the day of vengeance, uh, the day of vengeance of the Lord is upon us. Like that, that was a part of the prophecy is this, is God just dropping the hammer on all of his enemies. And they were like, yes, that's part of what it is. And Jesus is saying, no, not only did I not read that part, it's because that, that part is not a part of this. That there, there is coming a day, there is a coming a judgment day in history, but they thought it was all one motion. Jesus says, I'm coming to bring all this freedom and say, now is the year of the Lord's favor. But there will come a time at the end of human history when we will all stand before God. Jesus knew that there was this big span of time between those events. They thought it was all one big thing. And so when Jesus is saying, uh, hey, guess what? This is for the poor is for like everyone in need of God's grace, even the Phoenicians, even the Syrians. Even the Samaritans. In fact, everyone who is a Gentile, basically everyone who is a human being, this is for them. And they said, no, you got to die. That's what happened. That's why they rejected him. That's why they wanted to kill him. They thought they were not only better than everyone else, but that they thought everyone else needed to be destroyed. Jesus' ministry tells us many things. And this is one of them. That the good news Jesus proclaims is for every nation, every tribe, every tongue. That is absolutely clear. And if it's not just you know the first time he does this, the, the parable of the good Samaritan is is like reminding them of this because the Samaritan is the hero. Um, with the interaction with the woman at the well drove him crazy, but he's like, no, this is this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, the healing of the ten lepers, the one that came back to thank, to thank uh, Jesus was uh, a Samaritan. Like that, that, all these stories and these parables, like Jesus is constantly putting this in front of people in his ministry over and over and over again. Eventually the New Testament church would, would realize this and they would get on board. When you look at the, the, the trajectory of Paul and, and the, the churches that were planted and um, the, the, the entire, like, uh, ethic of the new testament church it's 
it, they are laying aside this, this uh, ethnocentricity of the Jewish community, and they're saying, no, it's not that. It's this, this big, huge healing of the nation, this big gospel that is out there. And really, the entire Bible points to this from start to finish. You'll not find places in the Bible that give us permission to exalt our ethnic uh, background, our ethnicity, our race, our whatever you want to call it, over another person. And just never, it's never in there. People try to twist different things and try to make it say this and make it say this. But when you truly study what the scriptures say, it just rejects that over and over and over again. And even when the people of God get it wrong, the truth still remains. And the people of God have not always gotten it right. And they, don't, and they continue to not get it right. It doesn't change the truth, though. And so if we're going to be people of the Word, then what does the Word say about this? Let me, you don't need to turn to any of these. Here's just some references to show you. In Micah chapter 4, tell me if this sounds inclusive or exclusive. Verse 1, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the people shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem He shall judge between many people and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. They shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the people walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Exclusive or inclusive? Inclusive. Absolutely inclusive. In addition to his life and ministry, Jesus is commissioned to his church in Matthew 28. You know, like the the verse that you've probably heard uh, for a long time if you've been around the church. Um, Starting verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. I mean, how you mess that up? You know, like all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son, and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Keep going. Acts chapter two and the, the spirit coming at, at Pentecost to literally have them worshiping in different languages and then send them all back home to their, like to go worship God and bring the gospel to their native tongues. That is about as inclusive as you can get. Paul's missionary journeys and church planting. If you look at one of those maps in the back of your Bible that shows everywhere that Paul went, he wasn't just hanging out in Jerusalem and be like, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. No, he's going and going and going and going and we're here because of it. Colossians three eleven. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Here it is. But Christ is all and in all. Here's one more, in case you're not convinced yet. This is looking at the future. This is like future us. 
Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. He he can't be more clear. He cannot be more clear. The life and ministry of Jesus and the full counsel of scripture, scripture says that ethnocentrism, ra- racism, and all that stuff in any form is a rejection of Jesus. And basically it's throwing him off of a cliff. That any form that this takes is a rejection of the one we claim to love. That every time we see it, we need to think of a mob of people throwing our Savior off a cliff. Because that's basically what we're doing is we're saying, uh, No. It's not for everyone. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, like, what is God trying to tell us? This is not a corrective sermon. Sometimes there are, there are sermons that come from, from, like, pastorally, where it's like, yep, the church needs a course correction, so we're going to offer it. And I want you to hear, please hear me. This is not what is happening right now. This is not like, yeah, after a couple weeks together, I really feel like we need to talk about race. No. It's not a correction Uh, It's not a reaction to anything. Uh, This is the fact that before, like during Lent, I was reading that part of the story, uh, the the rejection part, and was just thinking about all those kinds of things. And then this last week, we uh, recognized the 50th anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King. And uh, it has been a huge cultural topic. There was a a, um, conference in Memphis that the Southern Baptist Religious and Liberties Ethics, whatever, commission. Anyway, they put together this thing, and you can watch all the sessions, and you can like keep up with all that stuff. It's just been a, a huge cultural dialogue this week. And I just felt that the Spirit was like, you know, early on in this church transition, uh, let's just make sure the tone is set for this. Like, this is, this is where our country is. And so if we're going to minister in this context, then just everybody be on the same page and knowing, knowing how, how we're going uh, to proceed from here, how, what's our stance going to be, or how, what's our perspective on this thing. There's, there just can't be any doubt, and there won't be any doubt. And so we're going to follow the example of Jesus, our King, and reject racism and ethnocentrism in all forms. We're going to ask God for his gracious help in being a place where the wounds caused by these systemic evils can be healed for the glory of God. Now that is just a sentence that I wrote. (laughs) That's not a mantra. We're basically saying we're going to just, we're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to just live out the gospel. And it's, it's awful that we even have to have these things talks, but we do. That's where the brokenness of our world has us. And so we're not going to throw our Savior off a cliff. We're going to follow his lead. And if that means we get thrown off a cliff, whatever, that's fine. But the church should be the lead voice in where all the different, all the baggage that's come with all the wounds from all this, like, misplaced belief in how we've treated people over the years and one another and all that kind of stuff, all that should be healed through the church because 
book of Revelation says that there's this tree. It says the tree is for the healing of the nations. And it happens through Jesus. And who's right next to Jesus? His wife. Us. And so that is... That is important for, for... I feel like for you guys to hear me say... And not that it's about me, but it needs to be said from up here from someone, and I'll be the guy. But I'm not the only guy. The elders believe that. The staff believes that. And I bet every single one of you believe that. I bet every single person that's here is like, yep, I'm on board. Let's do that. So we just want to be faithful with whoever walks into our lives. Whoever walks into our lives, we want to be faithful with them. Now, it could be walking in the doors of this church. It could be walking into your Sunday school class. It could be walking into your community group. It could be walking into the, the, the place where you shop. It could be walking into the ball field where your kids play ball. It could be walking into what, any sort of situation, anyone that God crosses your path with them, we want to be faithful with them, regardless of all the goofy, ridiculous things that tend to you know, d- divide and polarize our culture. Who cares about all that stuff? We aren't the ones... Uh, that are going to buy into all that garbage. We are the place where those things are going to be healed. And so faithfulness is important. And here is a key. You might be like, yeah, that all sounds good. How are we going to do that? Well, here's one, here's one really important key understanding. Is that there's a difference between what describes you and what defines you. Those, those have to be two different things. And unfortunately... In our world, we tend to push those together. People find their identity in all these things that actually are, that's not where your identity is found. They find their identity in things that describe them. When really we have to be able to separate those things out. Here's, here's what I mean, is that your ethnicity is a description of you. It's not a definition of you. So if you, if... If you are Chinese, if that's your ethnicity, then that just describes your family lineage and where your like you know your people have come from and that kind of stuff. If you are Hispanic, if you if you uh, if your mom was from one country, your dad was from a different country. If there's like all kinds of things going, like whatever it is, your ethnicity just describes you. It doesn't define you. But sometimes we're made to feel like it defines us, and that's somewhere where the wheels have come off. Is because here in Luke four we see we see all these Jews who are there and they were being defined by their ethnicity instead of by the fact that God says, "Well, I have chosen you that through you will come the healing of the nations. Well, through this promise is going to come uh, like like through Abraham's line the entire world is going to be blessed." And so instead of understanding like, "Oh, this is an identity thing um, in terms of like who God says we are," they're saying like, "No, it's it's it's." become this this uh, defining thing where we have become arrogant and we have become the ex- opposite kind of people that God wanted us to be. I'm not here to beat up on the Jewish community because it happens all throughout history, all over the world, is, is we get those lines crossed. And so we can separate the fact that your ethnicity describes you, it does not define you. Your eye color describes you, it does not define you. I'm not saying that ethnicity and eye color are in the same thing, okay? So don't come at me later about that. But there are all these descriptors. And you see people sometimes where they, they find all their identity wrapped up in being an athlete or being a musician or being an intellect or being, you know, whatever. And, and, and those things change over time. You watch these, these uh, 
like situations where someone has found all their worth and value in something for all these years, and then when that thing goes away and they don't know who they are anymore, it's because they've been grabbing on to, to a descriptor as a definer when that's not really what God had in, in mind the whole time. So there's a difference between those things. So and in terms of, okay, what, what's the difference? Well, here, here's some verses that will tell you how you are defined. All right, again, you don't have to turn to these. I'm just going to read them. Listen, listen to, what the, to what a defining, like identifying like who you are truth is. For, uh, Genesis one twenty seven, God created man in his, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A defining statement for you is that you are made in the image of God. That you are made in the image of God. It's the, it's the same idea that when a, when a son or a daughter, a son or a daughter is in the image of their parents. We are in the image of, of God. So being an image bearer of God is a defining thing. Being male or female is a descriptive thing. But being the image of God, that is a defining thing for you. That you say, I am an image bearer of God. Isaiah 43 verse 1. Part of the verse says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. That what defines you is not what you're walking through. What defines you is what he says. And he says, you're mine. And so that he's put a label on you. That you're my image. You're made in my image. And you, like you are mine. 2 Corinthians 6, which, which is being quoted from Deuteronomy 26. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we're the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Made in the image of God, you are his. He looks at you and says, son. He looks at you and says, daughter. Those are defining things for you. First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You want to be defined by something? Be defined what, by what he says about you. You're his. You're made in his image. You're his son. You're his daughter. I often reference the, the movie Toy Story with this because it, so, it makes such an impact on me the first time I saw it. Um, one of the toys has, uh, has the name uh, Andy written underneath his foot. And that's how he knows who he is. That's, he's like, no, I know who I am. I know whose I am because it's literally written on my foot. And that God has put his label on you. That he says, no, this is, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're made in my image. Like that's, that is what you're defined by. And so all the descriptors, they may change and ebb and flow and that kind of stuff. But you know what will never change? That will never, ever change. So with the things that describe you, we're going to interact with one another based on what defines you. So because you are an image bearer of God, because you are his son, you are his daughter, you are his, the things that are great in your life that describe you, we're just going to celebrate that stuff. Your gender, we're going to celebrate that. Like, it's awesome that, that you are a woman. It's awesome that you are a man. However, whatever God, however he decided to do that for you, we're going to celebrate that. 
Whatever, whatever your, your ethnicity is, we're going to celebrate that. Whatever, uh, whatever your strengths and weaknesses are, we're going to celebrate both of those because it's awesome that you're not good at stuff sometimes, you know? Whatever your spiritual gifts are, whatever, all these like great things, all the victories in your life, all these things that just describe what's going on, to champion that with one another, we're going to do that because we're all the sons and daughters of God together. And so let's not pretend that we aren't, let's not pretend that we're all the same. You know, how annoying is that? Like, oh, I don't see color. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, we're different. It's fine. There's nothing wrong being different. I'm glad that we're not all the same. I mean, what a beautiful diversity that this world brings. Let's not pretend that we're all the same. Let's celebrate the differences and recognize God's sovereign, like, guidance of the whole thing. So because of who you are, we're going to celebrate the, the great things that are describing you. And because of who you are, we're going to walk with you through all the difficult descriptors. We're going to walk with you through the wounds that you're trying to heal from. We're going to walk with you when, when addiction really has you bound. We're going to walk with you through counseling. We're going to walk with you through grief and through suffering. We're going to walk with you through all the difficult things that just describe you as well. Because sometimes people, just like they can be, they can let their, uh, the really good things in life define them, sometimes we can also let the really bad things in life define us too. Like I have this, I have a, I love like AA. I think, I, I think AA is a, just a phenomenal ministry and organization. But here's one of my problems with it. Is if you're going to share an AA meeting, you say, I'm, I'm Josh, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. And I, I would say, no, 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 no. That's a, you're, you are identifying with alcoholism. You're making an identity statement. You need to separate those. I would say, I, I'm Josh. I'm an image bearer, a son of God. I'm his, and I struggle with alcoholism. I am not an alcoholic. I struggle with alcoholism. It will not define me. I don't know what you're, that's just an example I picked out of nowhere. It could be anything where sometimes the difficult parts of life become identifying markers and God says, no, 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 that's not who you are. It's just what you're going through, going through. It's just what you're struggling with. It just describes you. It doesn't define you. I have defined you. So the church needs to treat everyone based on what God says about them. So in the great things and the difficult things, whatever, we're going we're gonna to have that dignity and honor and respect for one another. And we're going to walk together through all the seasons of life, no matter what struggles or victories come our way, because of who we are, because of who he says we are. And when that happens, it doesn't matter when someone crosses your path. It doesn't matter what they look like or where they're from. Or any that kind of, and all those things become so, so irrelevant when we just let them describe, we don't let them define. If we can do that, like if we can continue to learn to do that, then the wounds that are caused by the different divisions in life, uh, we'll keep healing from it. And we'll help others heal from it. And not only about things connected to ethnicity and race, but also uh, people who don't feel welcome in churches because they're struggling, because of what they've been through, because of what they look like, because of this and this and this and this. To be a place where they're like, yeah, you know how that church looks at it? That just describes what's going on and all these things that God can do. But they look at you for who you are. Here, there's no... um, That is not a division point. It's actually something they kind of celebrate. It's like, cool. Uh, what's your deal? Awesome. This is my deal. Awesome. 
Let's watch Jesus do amazing things among us. And what's awesome is that we don't even have to have like, here's a nine-point strategy for doing this. Like, no, here's the, it's just the one strategy. It's Jesus modeled this for us, so we're just going to like do what he did. He says, if you want to be like me, come on. Deny yourself, take up your cross every day, follow me. Basically, it's like, humble yourself, stop holding to your own agenda, and just imitate me. Just do what I do. And the healing will come. We will continue to learn to be the kind of people that he's making us into, and the kind of people that we want to be. And I bet every one of you believes believes in the church. Like, she can be ridiculous sometimes. She can. But Jesus loves her and is committed to her, and I bet you love her and are committed to her as well. And I believe that we all are like, yeah, this is possible. This is possible. It's possible to be a part of a community that separates description and definition, that looks at you based on what, you're, what God says about you, and that's it. And if we just trust him and follow him and do what he says and hang in there with each other, it's going to happen. So... Uh, There it is. People tease me because I always wrap up with the same stuff. I'm like, I don't know where this lands with you. But that's on you. You know, like, uh, ball's in your court as far as that goes. Um, But you know. Some of you right now are probably very, just very grateful that Jesus has brought this kind of of healing uh, through the scriptures and through his life. And some of you just want to sing to him. Some of you want to pray. Some of you may have like specific things related to, uh, to ethnocentricity or racism. Or um, maybe there's people that you know that don't feel welcome in Christian community because of the whole, you know, whatever. There's so much that could be there. So we're just going to give you some options. Be this, there's, there's, there's three options. All right. One will be communion. Uh, we have we'll have two communion stations where you dip the bread in and you you take you dip the bread in the juice and you take it yourself and and here's here's something with that what we're what we see here in the scriptures like this this kind of healing over these kinds of things is only possible uh, through the gracious work of Jesus among us like we we can't fix this. Dr. King understood that this is not primarily a social problem or a political problem or a moral problem, that it was a spiritual problem. He understood that. He understood that because Jesus understood that and told us that. And Dr. King looked at Jesus and was like, yeah, let's do that because he's right. (laughs) And so Jesus offering himself to us is is going to be the pathway for that. And so if, if receiving communion helps you connect there, then that, that is an option. If you want to come and kneel and pray, then uh, you can come and do that. And me and Brother Bob and Meg and John Bales are going to be just standing along the front row. If you want to, if you want to come and, and, and have us pray with you, listen to what's going on, if you want someone to pray with you, that's great. If you're like, okay, I need Jesus to just save me from this whole mess, then we would love to talk to you about that as well. And so we will be here and we want to receive you in, in that way. And so I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up and all those things will be set into motion. But look, these 
last several moments are really for your stewardship or whatever God's stirring within you. Because you know as well as I do, once we say that blessing and everything goes like starts going, it's easy to leave it here. So however you spend these next few moments will help you not leave it here, but take it with you even more. All right, how about you stand? We pray for us. Jesus, we, I mean, we're, we're with you. Like we don't, we don't believe even for a second that the gospel is just for one, uh, one ethnic group or one kind of person. The gospel is for anyone who will look at you and say yes and believes that you have come to give your life for them. And so it is not by our works, it is by our faith. And you are taking us toward a future that is full of uh, this, just this incredible, inclusive, all the nations together, lifting up one name. I mean, that's what we're headed toward. And that is not just a future thing. That is a right now thing as well. And so we need your help in making that just the way that we live our lives. And so would you help us to keep taking steps in that direction? where we are faithful with every every life that we come across. And we're ready for people to be faithful with us too. That we separate the things that describe us from the things that define us and we just grab onto what you say about us. And from there, that determines how we treat everyone, which is with the dignity and respect that comes from bearing your image and being yours and having your name written on the bottom of our foot. So whatever response looks like in these moments, give us the courage to say yes and to celebrate and to honor you. And uh, we don't want to leave it in the room. So help us to really just grab deeply onto it. And if praying or communion or singing or whatever helps, then you know, this is your time, not ours. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. The communion stations are open and you can come when you're ready.